Today, if you've been here the last weeks, we're in a series right now called The Table. And uh, this is our third week. Next week will be the, the last week of the series. And we've been looking at uh, this, this idea of the table, what it means to eat and drink with one another and with God, and how this picture uh, kind of flows right through all the scriptures. A couple weeks ago when we started, we looked in the Old Testament and saw how uh, God, there was this whole kind of sacrificial system in place and this covenant made with God, all so that God could kind of eat and, and be back in relationship with his people. We saw how then when Jesus came into this world, God incarnate among us, he spent so much of his time eating and drinking around tables that the people around him actually began to ask questions and kind of puzzle, like, wow, you know, this is what you spend all your time doing. We talked about how when Jesus looked to the future and talked about all that God is going to do, so often what he uh, reached for, this picture that one day when God makes everything, uh, all things new, back the way they're meant to be, that it's, almost, it's going to be like a, a wedding feast. It's going to be like a, a table, this joyful banquet that takes place. And today we're going to look at uh, this table that then Jesus leaves us that is at the very center of what he says to, for us to continue in, in a way, kind of gathering around. That at the center of what Jesus uh, kind of left for us is this table that we sometimes call the Lord's table. We sometimes call it the Lord's supper. Uh, sometimes it's called the Eucharist, which is a, a word that means thank you. It's a Thanksgiving meal. We sometimes call it communion in our church. It's been called all kinds of things by all different followers of Christ, but all followers of Christ, no matter what kind of tradition they come from around the world, we all hold this one table in common. I love what N.T. Wright calls it, the meal. He simply calls it, he's a great theologian, N.T. Wright said, it's the meal that Jesus gave us. Whatever you call it, wherever you're from, whatever you've heard it called, at the end of the day, it's this meal that Jesus gave us that, that does something incredibly special and significant. In fact, we're going to be digging into this particular meal, this particular table, if you will, today. And so we're actually just going to kind of try and visit a bit with fresh eyes. Now, before we do that, I, I, I was reminded of a, a, a different place, a different kind of table. So I don't want to confuse these tables. And we're going to switch gears entirely for one moment. I, I, some of you maybe today are even thinking, hey, where are we going to go for lunch? Maybe a special lunch. And uh, last night I, I saw a commercial for a particular restaurant. Uh, how many people uh, are familiar with, in fact, let's just go, everyone's familiar. How many people would call yourself a fan of Hog's Breath? How many people, we got some Hog's Breath fans out there? Oh, we got a few. And we got a few, got a few favorites. It's clearly not a, a huge favorite around here. I, how, how many people, I'm not so sure about Hog's Breath. Yeah. Oh, wow, I don't, all right, interesting. Well, <laughs> hog's breath apparently is probably trying to win some of you in this latter category over. I saw a commercial just last night on, on television, and it was a commercial, and they were kind of displaying some of their new things. Maybe some of you are like, ah, I'm not sure. You think of like these deep-fried fatty foods and the, and the steaks and all these things, and that's why ah, I'm not so sure. Well, they had this commercial on, and it was talking about how oh, their brand-new menu and a lot of you know, healthy you know, kind of options and different salads and things, maybe not what you've always thought of when you think of hog's bread. And the commercial line, I thought, oh, look at this. You know, it'd probably tap it in. A lot of people are thinking very health consciously today, so they're kind of getting their menu out. And it got to the end, they said, and, and it's kind of, you know, the very end, it just said, you know, like, come on down to, or, or you know, the restaurant, or whatever. but it was just hogs. Has anybody seen this commercial? They're moving from hog's breath to hogs. And, and I saw this, and I thought to myself, now they, wow, they you know, I was, people sat in a room and came up with this decision. They talked about it, and what are the reasons we should go from hogs? And I, and I thought, you know what, it's just funny. I have, 
You know, I mean, I've eaten at Hog's Breath for years and years and years. For one of the first places people took me to when I moved to Australia. You got to go to Hog's Breath. And I've eaten there, and I've, I would put myself in that category. I mean, I, I, you know, those marble steaks cooked all day. Come on, people. Some of you in that latter category have not been there, too. You know, they got some great food. But in all my time, I never really thought about the name. When I just heard Hog's, I thought, you know, why, why do they make that change? And I thought, why, why would you call a, a restaurant... Hog's breath. <laughs> like, why would you do that? Like, you're like, you want people to kind of think, I mean, and what was the show? It's like, you know, imagine yourself. You're at a farm. All the sights and smells of a farmer there. Maybe you go find the big pig. You know, I'm talking a hog. And just imagine it's breath, you know? <laughs> like, imagine it, you know? Oh. Yeah, I want to come to that restaurant, you know? I mean, was that it? What's the idea? You know, or was it like if you eat here, you too walk out with hogs, breath, you know? Just, I just, I thought, about, like, what was the idea there? Now, I've said hogs breath a thousand times. I've been there all that. I've never once thought about the name hogs <laughs> breath, you know, just like, what? And, and here's the thing, here's the thing, here's the thing. You can get so familiar with things, you just never even question them, right? You don't even hear it anymore. You don't see it. You don't think about it. It just becomes, it's hog's breath. We don't question anymore <laughs> why. One of our great challenges if we are to really understand this table that we're going to talk about today, is we are so incredibly familiar with it. We've celebrated it, uh, some of us, for our entire lives. Uh, some of us are familiar with it through traditions we've never even embraced or we've seen elsewhere. We've seen stuff in movies, on TV. We've seen artwork paintings. We've seen, we are so familiar with uh, what in our tradition we tend to call communion that it becomes difficult to sometimes really see it for what it is. And we cannot talk about the table right through the scriptures. We cannot talk about all the meals and the eating and the drinking and all that it points to without really wrapping our minds around this table, this meal, this special meal that Jesus gave to his followers. And the challenge for us today, and so what I want us to do, uh, what, what I, I'm hoping is that we, I want us just to try and look at it with some fresh eyes. To the best that we can, we're going to try and just read through uh, the moment when Jesus actually gave us the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. At this moment, we also call it the last supper. It was the last meal that he celebrated with his followers. And it was the moment where he gave them and gave us this meal. And we're just going to kind of read it. And there's a lot we know about it, and we could spend weeks just on this one meal. We could spend so much time. We're not going to be able to kind of mine it for all that it's worth. But what I want to just try to do today in the midst of this series as we look at the table through the scriptures is let's just try and see some things that we don't normally see. Let's try and just some of those things that, you know, they, they become, it, we become so familiar, we, we're, we're almost kind of missing what is right in front of us at times. So we're going to read through it. Does that sound like fun? Yes. Luke. We're going to look through Luke's account. Now, this meal, it takes place. You can read about it. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke in particular uh, all record this meal as a central act. We're going to read through Luke's account of it uh, today. And we're just going to kind of read through and then go back in and grab a couple pieces out. It says in Luke chapter 22, uh, 
Jesus, there's there, Jesus, and, and even as a little bit of this background, Jesus has come to the time of Passover, which is like the festival and the feast of all Jewish feasts in, in Jesus' day, and still to this day. This was like all, you know, the most kind of celebratory, the biggest deal uh, that they put all the emphasis into. Uh, it's almost even hard to, to compare it to something in, in our culture. Passover was such a big deal, and it's time to eat it, and he has his disciples, go get it ready. There's a whole kind of dinner. There's a whole banquet. There's all these preparations that go into celebrating, because it's a very symbolic, very significant meal. Jesus has his disciples get it all ready, and now we're going to pick it up when it comes to uh, the moment they're going to actually begin to, to celebrate the Passover together. Verse 14, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. They reclined at the table, and he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. It was a whole, as I said, it's a whole meal, uh, actually, really symbolic, and we'll talk a little bit about that in just a bit. He says, I eagerly desired to eat it with you before I suffer. He knew that this was coming to the time he was going to go to the cross. He says, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And one day it will be completely and, and fulfilled in a whole new way. He's beginning to speak to them of, of what is yet to come. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Uh, and now, we'll pause for a moment. One of the things about this meal uh, back then was in, in the Passover meal, and still to this day, there, he, he's taken a cup here. There are actually four cups that are taken. They each kind of symbolize different things. We're seeing this is, the first one's recorded here. They don't mention all four of them here, but we see uh, this, this was, was one of the cups um, that he has taken. And then he took bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it. He gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This, do this, you know, this is that moment. Jesus is giving them this meal. You're going to do this in remembrance of me. This is going to continue to happen. This bread is, is my body. They don't fully understand these things just yet. Obviously, we live in the light of, of being able to see the fullness of, of this in his death and resurrection. In the same way, after the supper... He took the cup. So now they've eaten. Now they've eaten. There's bread. Then they have supper. Then they eat together. Now they've eaten. And it's after that point he says, this cup. This is the, the second cup we hear about in Luke. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. This cup. This is, uh, most people think this is probably the third cup. Out of the four cups, the third cup is usually called the cup of redemption. And Jesus is saying, this cup that used to, uh, symbolize from the Passover, from, from the freedom and the blood that was poured out and, uh, and the Israelites being freed from slaves, and then the blood that was also shed, if you hear a couple weeks ago, in, in Exodus, uh, where Moses says this blood is the blood of the covenant, where God was making a, a deal, a commitment with the, the people of Israel to be his people. Jesus says, now this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And then he begins to talk about something that's going to happen. He says, but the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine at the table. The son of man will go as it has been decreed. But woe to that man who betrays him. He's alluding here to Judas and how Judas is going to, going to betray him, even though he's his good friend and is even at the table with him. 
And they began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. And a dispute also arose. Now they're, they're around the table, they're talking, they're wondering who's going to betray him, who's going to be the traitor. And then they also, there, there's another conversation that breaks out. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. They're all eating around the table and they start talking about, hey, which one do you think is the best? You know, Jesus is starting to talk about the kingdom coming. These guys are starting to get excited. Every, like, whoa, the kingdom's going to come? What are we going to overthrow the Romans? What's going to happen here? And they begin to talk about, hey, which of us is going to be the greatest when all these things happen? And Jesus says to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. He's talking about how normal people, most people, they gravitate towards power. They want to be in charge, and they lord it over people. And Jesus says, but you, my followers, you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? Jesus says, but I am among you as one who serves. Of course, Jesus had washed all their feet. He'd made this point to them and says, this is what uh, greatness is about. It's about being a servant. Now, this meal, and again, many of us are so familiar, we're not going to be able to dig around everything that goes in this, but there's a few things I want us to to just remember today, to kind of, you know what, as we read this, let's just slow down and look. And the first thing I guess I want to talk about just for a few moments, I think it's just worth remembering, if we're going to capture what this meal was all about, is that the Lord's Supper was given at a supper. It was given at a, a feast. It was given in a, in a banquet meal situation. It was Passover. It was celebration. It was a feast. There was a, a, all kinds of things went into making this meal and preparing this meal. We sometimes, because of the way we, we celebrate it, we sometimes forget it wasn't just in the midst of a uh, kind of a, a religious moment. It was at a meal. They were eating together. When he gives a cup, it's after they had eaten. This is a, a table situation. It's a, it's a meal, and it may feel like we, we almost don't even need to remember this, but I think there's something important about remembering when and how Jesus gave us the meal that he gave us. You see, supper, I mean, supper can be a confusing word anyway. I recall 12 years ago when we did very first move to Australia, we'd been here maybe a week, and uh, a couple who was about our age, they invited us over for tea. And we thought, you know, we had just moved from the U.S. On our way over, we even stopped in London for a brief period of time. We thought, wow, in all my life, no one has ever invited me over to drink tea together. <laughs> I thought, that, the British influence must be very strong in Australia. This is really fascinating. Like, all my life, never, ever happened. No one has ever invited us to have tea. So we thought, well, this is, this is interesting. And, 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 and they said, come over about, you know, 6.37. We thought, that's, I thought tea was like an afternoon thing. I thought, you know, that's in the movies. I felt like that was more the kind of vibe. Okay, that's fine. So we thought, well, we'll have, we'll have dinner, and then we'll, we'll go to their house, and, <laughs> and we'll have tea together. <laughs> now, thankfully, just before we were to come, uh, we saw them a couple days before, so they said, oh, and by the way, do you guys like roast? Do you like, like roast beef? We thought, like, yeah, we, we like roast beef. It, it feels odd with tea, but <laughs> sure. Can we... Like, is that what you do? We kind of imagine biscuits, you know, just kind of, maybe crumpets. I've heard of those, you know? So, you know, it's confusing. Now, uh, we come to find, no, tea means 
dinner. You know, it's a meal. And so we found out kind of just in time in that occasion. Okay, that's fine. Now, not too long after that, someone invited us over for supper. Now, where we come from? Supper. Now, we're talking roast beef. Now, we're talking about a dinner. And so we have dinner. And, and Well, we did not. We thought we'd been invited for supper. This will be great. And we go to their house and we drink tea, you know? And it was, you know, I think I didn't, it wasn't, we didn't actually drink tea, but it was just, that was why it was like hot drinks and a few of those crumpets and biscuits we were looking forward to and thought, this is a strange land we have found ourselves in. The, the tea is, so if we want to go to tea, we're going to eat, uh, you know, so... Uh, sometimes we get confused about what these things are, and when we read the scriptures, sometimes we forget this was a meal. Do not lose sight of that. It was a meaningful meal. As we said, this meal was symbolizing the, the deliverance of, of Israel from, uh, from Egypt. Now, God acted on their behalf and took them from being slaves to being free. And it was a celebratory meal. It was a covenant meal. We talked about these a couple weeks ago. All through the scriptures, you see these covenant meals. A deal is made, and then there's a celebratory meal that takes place. Passover was one of those. It was the greatest of all their festivals. And in the midst of that, Jesus is going to give them a new meal. He's going to reinterpret it. Now, a second thing that feels so obvious, it almost feels like, why do we even talk about this? But you know what? The Lord's table had a table. The Lord's table was given around a table. It was not, we sometimes say the Lord's table, and we use it in a metaphorical kind of way. When the Lord gave us this meal, it was at a table. Now, sometimes one of the challenges I think we, we also have with this is because we uh, are people who are a part of Western culture and health of all of these, a lot of us go, yeah, it's a table. I know exactly what the table looks like. And it looks like this. This is one of the most famous paintings you, you, you've ever seen. And I think we got, you know, that's what the table looked like. It's like they all lined up, like they're getting ready for a wedding picture, and they're all facing one direction. And we think, this is this what the table looked like? And in our, our, our history, has been so colored by the artwork and language. This, this is a table. Now, some of the things about this table is like, this is what the table would have looked like. And maybe this is even what the people would have looked like if the Lord's Supper had taken place in the 15th century in Italy. This is, this is how they did banquets. This is what their tables looked like. This is uh, apparently what they looked like. And this, these pictures end up coloring our picture of what happened in this moment. This is one of literally the most famous paintings in the world. For many, many people, this is what, what, you know, what they think of when they even think of the, the Last Supper. And from it comes all these, you know, the Lord's table, the table it took place at, and, and this is why it's kind of helpful, it looked a lot more like this. Uh, this is, uh, and I like this one, it's kind of blurred, you can't see the people that well, it's a little more, but you, you see there a U-shaped table. This is what banquet tables looked like at the time of Christ. And, and this is actually called a triclinium, it's kind of a Roman thing. And you'll see, uh, the, the thing, do you know what's radically different about this table than that picture? Everyone's facing each other. This is a table where interaction happens and occurs. This is a table, as you remember, as we read, it talks about they reclined at the table. They didn't have kind of big reclining chairs. They were literally reclined, chilled out on the ground because their tables were just off the ground. And you see uh, the, the, the closest kind of figure to us on the left of that, which 
Here is probably meant to be uh, John uh, from the scriptures. It seems like he was likely the one who was sitting to Jesus right because he can kind of lean into him like that and he can ask him questions. They, they would eat by re- reclining on their left arm and you would eat with the right hand. You were literally reclined. You were laying out. In fact, you could even, the foot washing could happen if there was a servant while you were eating because your feet are kind of behind you. So in this case, you see Jesus, and, and you know, it, it, it's a little bit kind of just that picture of me. He's, 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 quite, he's quite, you know, glowing white standing out uh, in this photo. Uh, and so you kind of see him there, and that's where the host of the meal, one thing that's clear in this meal is Jesus is the host, and that's where the host would have sat. And they all are seated around and, and in particular spaces and around the table. In fact, you know, John, as we said, is right there. We know from the scriptures because he leaned in. And Jesus also says it's in another account, who's, who's the one who's going to betray? It's the one who dips their hand into the bowl with me, which means it was likely Judas who was just at the other side of him, actually almost just so close to him. It's almost like Jesus just wanted him right to the end, was trying to draw him in close. But this whole meal happens not in... This kind of formal, sit at a table. It's this long table, and we're all just sitting there. It happens in the midst of a table. You see, tables actually, I think, matter because tables are meant to be places, and always have been, where interaction takes place, where conversation takes place, where joy takes place. The, the, the table in, in this one is, is, is about people just next to each other looking forward. The table in Jesus' day and, and what they imagined was this table. It was the kind of table where an argument could break out over who's going to be the greatest. Just imagine the, the scene in the scenario when, when Jesus was giving this. They are eating together. They're celebrating a feast together. Jesus is beginning to talk about how the kingdom's going to come. All these guys around the table are starting to talk about who's going to be the greatest. Who's going to sit at his right? Who's going to sit at his left? What's it going to be like? They're actually, they're arguing. There's, there's all of the joy of a real table, isn't there? I mean, our tables, you have a great holiday in your family, probably you get a bit of a mix of what happens. There's some joy, there's some good stories, and probably a few arguments that break out as well. Tables are the place where people always, historically, always, they interact. And there's conversation and there's joy and there's celebration, there's all these things. The Lord's table is given in that kind of a moment. Now, the, the, the last thing, I, I guess, the, the couple things I want to speak about here is it's also important to remember that when this happened, when this was given, uh, what Jesus did was now take this festival meal that was loaded with all this meaning, that spoke to God's mighty saving act when he rescued his people, took them from slavery to freedom. That's what the meal was all about. And Jesus is going to take that meal, and he's going to completely reinterpret its meaning and say, now this meal is about not just the people of Israel delivered from Egypt, it's about humanity being delivered from slavery to sin. He's going to say, when God rescued the people from Egypt, they came out of there, and then God says, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. We looked at this in Exodus 24. God tells them, here's what it's going to look like to be my people. He gives them all the, the, the ten words, or what we call the Ten Commandments. This is what it looks like to be my people. He gives them what's called kind of the book of law. Here's what, here's what I'm asking of you. The people say, we're going to do it. We want to be your people. And then they pour out the blood. And Moses says, this is the blood of the covenant. This is it. It's ratifying it, saying this is now a binding covenant. And in this moment, Jesus says, this cup 
is the, is the blood of the new covenant. There's a new deal. There's a new relationship between God and people. And in this deal, there don't need to be any more sacrifices. It doesn't need to be any more law. This is me dying a sacrificial death once and for all to secure freedom for all. So he takes it and he reinvests it with all of this new meaning that is all about him and all about his saving act. But the thing I want to talk about as well that I think, and, and many of us, if you're here, you're familiar with that. We know these things. We know these things. But the thing about this meal was that it also was almost like it's beyond just meaningful. I mean, this meal kind of goes beyond just the this means that and this means that. And sometimes I think we were so much, of course, the bread means this and the, and the cup means this and we've got, and so these mean that. This meal went beyond just kind of just helpful symbols and pictures. There is something so incredibly powerful and significant that was taking place and, and so powerful as to why Jesus also asks us to do it. Yeah. See, this is a meal that connects the past, the present, and the future. And it brings it all together in one unique moment. It looks backwards, even while it takes place in the present, and it looks forward. I, I love what N.T. Wright says about this when he, he talks about this meal Jesus gave us, and he talks about a, a birthday party. Birthday parties are a special meal that we celebrate, uh, and, and, and we do that in, in some ways, in all kinds of odd ways. We put on uh, pointy hats, and we uh, take little sticks of fire and put them on baked goods, and, it, and, and we do, for some reason, all of this helps us decide this is a special moment, and, and, we, say, and we celebrate. Birthdays have this quality to them. They celebrate the past. Like, we're remembering. You were born. There was a moment, you know, your life began. You're X amount of years old. We're celebrating your past, that you were born and came into this world. They take place in the present, and you're like, and right here, we're here to gather around your birthday cake, and we're going to celebrate with you. And we even say things like, you know, we wish you many more good years. You know, we used to sing when, when I grew up, you know, and many more, you know. And we look forward to, like, we hope you have a good life. No matter how old a person is, we say, you know, and there are many more. May you have many more great years yet to come. Birthday parties, they, they link together the past, the present, and the future. This meal that Jesus gave us is meant to be one of those moments where it, in, in it somehow, and this is where it's actually more mysterious than we sometimes give it credit for. That in this incredible moment, we are united with the past and what Jesus did on our behalf. That moment, even though it's in the past, it's like we are now almost, it's applied to our life. There's a direct connection. For the Israelites, when, and the people of Israel, and the Jewish people, for all the histories, and they celebrate uh, the, the Exodus, they didn't talk about it like God just brought them out of slavery. They, they will say it like God delivered us out of slavery, as if they were the slaves as well. They're united to what happened in that moment. As we remember what Jesus did, we are, we're, just, we're united with what he did on our behalf, on the cross and in the resurrection. We're called to that past. And in the present, it's like Jesus, it's not only that it happened back then, he's present with us now. This is my body. This is my blood. And those things have been argued and debated exactly, but in some mysterious way, Jesus is present as we celebrate the meal that he gave us. He's there in that moment. And the part that we 
probably are almost more inclined to forget or more inclined to lose sight of at times is that it points us to the future. It points us to the future. In, in Corinthians, Paul wrote it this way. He said, as often as you do this, whenever you celebrate this, the Lord's death, we proclaim the Lord's death when? Until he comes. There's this forward-looking element that says, do you know what? He died and he secured salvation and, and the kingdom came in part and, and it was inaugurated in Jesus' death and resurrection. And he's here and he's present with us now. But when we eat this, we are looking forward to that one day when he comes. We are looking forward to that day when he comes. That this meal is meant to be a small taste of what is yet ahead. That, that one day, and what is yet ahead? Jesus tells us, it's one day there's going to be a feast. There's going to be a banquet. There's going to be a table once again. And, and, and Jesus says that that is where all history is moving towards. One day, I'm going to wipe every tear from their eye. One day, the dwelling of God will be with people. One day, it will be like the greatest wedding feast of all. And here in this meal, we, celebrate, we remember the past, and we don't just kind of remember it like, oh, yeah, that happened. We are united with it. And here in this meal, it's like, and Jesus is present here and now. And when we eat this, we remember that one day he will, we will be with him in fullness. One day the kingdom will come in fullness. And it will be like a banquet. It will be a celebration. It will be a feast. It will be the greatest feast of them all. Now this challenge for us, I think, in our day and in our time is to say, how, how do we make sure that we celebrate this meal in all its fullness. If this meal is supposed to be as well a taste of the kingdom that is yet to come, how do we make sure that in some small way we are actually beginning to experience a taste of the kingdom that is yet to come? How do we, how do we celebrate it in a way that unites us? How do we celebrate it in a way that brings out all the fullness of what this is meant to be? He gave us Jesus, I mean, it's one of the only things he commanded people to remember. He didn't say, ever actually say, you know, remember my teacher, remember the meal. He's just like, do this, have this meal. He gave us this meal. It has so much power to bring us together and to begin to experience this taste of the life that is yet to come. Now, I'll be honest and upfront. I don't have an answer exactly for how we do that. But I do feel like it's the question God wants us to ask that we never get so familiar and so, uh, so routine about it that we miss the power of what this is. There is so much in it. And, and, I, and we barely even scratched the surface. How do we do that in a way? And, and like I said, I don't have an answer today, but I do want to leave that question hanging with us as a church. What does it mean? This is the meal that he gave us. How do we celebrate that in all its fullness? I want to finish by just reading you. And we're not going to, and I'll tell you as well, we're not actually going to celebrate it today. We will next week. But I do think this is something we've got to continue. How do we make sure we are, we are really leaning into all that God desires? Because there is so much in it. And next week, we'll, we'll, we'll be trying to actually unpack and dig in a little bit. What, what are those things about how we actually celebrate that we need to be conscious of and leaning into? I want to just finish, though, with these this, this little story, because it, to me, it, it pulls together some of the power of why Jesus left us a meal. 
why he left us a meal. I, I want to just read you this. This is a little bit from a story. Uh, 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 Philip Yancey writes this in his book. I've been reading a bit called Vanishing Grace. And he, he talks about, uh, in this little moment, the, the thing that strikes me about what I'll read to you is it, it kind of points to how in this meal that Jesus gave us, he has called together and brought together the deepest hungers of the human heart. I want to just read you a story. It says this. Mark Rutland whimsically recalls a survey in which Americans were asked what words they would most like to hear. He predicted the first choice. What do you think of the words most people most like to hear? What, what did you guess? Yes. Yes? I, yes? What, what are you asking for? I guess it depends what. I love you. I think I heard that as well a couple places. I love you. So they did a survey of, of people. What, what are the words you most want to hear? You know what most people want to hear in life? I love you. Everybody. It's the core. We know this of what it means to be human. We want to hear someone say to us, I love you. Number two was, I forgive you. Now it says something that for so many people, you know what they most love to hear? They, they look back maybe on their life, maybe regrets, maybe, you know, what they look at and what they think I'd most like to hear. I forgive you. The third choice took him by surprise. Supper's ready. <laughs> the third thing people want to hear, supper. And when they said supper, they meant dinner. <laughs> they meant tea. <laughs> there is something about those words. I love that the third thing people most wanted to hear. And oh, I, people want to hear I love you. They want to hear I forgive you. And there's something about those words. Supper's ready that speaks to gathering around the table, that speaks to families brought back together, speaks to friendships and celebration and joy. The table does it like nothing else. And you know, for us, Jesus, what did he leave us? What did he give us? He wrapped it all up into one package, this meal, and he said, you know what it means? This is God saying to you, I love you. This meal says to us, from God to us, I forgive you. And this meal speaks to us that Supper's ready, and supper is coming. We can, we can taste it now. Supper's ready now in the sense that we have been now invited into relationship with God, but it reminds us that not only is supper ready, supper's coming, and there, there is a joy. And I, and I want to read you this last thing he says, because you know what that does when you start to wrap your mind around that? He says this. He says, we, it reminds we are loved by God, forgiven by God, and invited to the banquet table. And in the midst of a planet marked by brokenness, violence, natural disasters, ruptured relationships, the gospel truly is good news. Like an iPod listener dancing in a subway station full of glum commuters, a Christian hears a different sound of joy and laughter on the other side of pain and death. This is what this meal is supposed to speak to us of. Let me pray for us today. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came into this world to free us from slavery to sin. We thank you that you came into this world to free us and this entire, and all your creation from bondage to sin and death and decay. We thank you that, Lord, we are invited to now know you, to walk with you, to eat with you, we thank you that you have given us a taste and you have lifted our eyes to look forward and know 
that one day your kingdom will come in fullness. One day you will make all things new. One day your dwelling will be with us and we will sit with you around the great banquet table. Lord, may this take hold in our hearts and change the way we live. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.